Live, live and underway here on ESPN Plus, episode 264. The one where the show, or at least half the show, what many would say is the better half of the show, are just outside Dallas as the Gold Cup continues. That's right, the knockout rounds, the quarterfinals, starting Saturday there with a uh, double header at the home of the Dallas Cowboys. That is not where we find Hercules Gomez. However, Herc, where are you and how hot is it? Well, it's a lot cooler in here, Seb. Good to see you. As you can see, I am sporting the very beautiful jersey that my friends in Rio Valley gave me. Go, Toros. Go ahead, Bulls. Uh, we are in Texas. We are in Dallas. Well, excuse me, Frisco, Texas. That's right. Behind me, you can see the National Soccer Hall of Fame where your boy was there and hopefully will be there soon. And this is the home <laughs> Toyota Stadium of FC Dallas. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. A, it's a nice stadium. Brings back some good memories. This was title number two for me here. All right. I thought you were going to break some news there I know about, you know your uh, history. About, about you getting into the Hall of Fame. But uh, I guess we'll have to wait for that uh, at least a few more years. I saw uh, a bunch of indoor players and NASL players in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, your boy's got some history as well. I mean, if they that's do the right. History, that's right. Dude, they don't forget smart. the old guys Whatever. at the Hall of Fame. Uh, that's for sure. Coming up in this show, we got lots to yeah. get to. Uh, we will continue our series of one-on-one interviews with members of the U.S. Women's National Team ahead of the World Cup. We got Crystal Dunn and Rose Lavelle today. We're also going to have Reggie Cannon join the show. Lots to discuss with the former FC Dallas product, plus some big games to go over in Major League Soccer and Liga MX. But Herc, let's start with the big news around one of the biggest stars in our hemisphere, and that, of course, is Christian Pulisic. One year left on his Chelsea deal. Sources telling ESPN that AC Milan have submitted a new bid as of Wednesday for Pulisic. That bid up to 20 million euros. Lyon, out of the French League, have also made an offer to Chelsea for Pulisic. That offer reportedly more than AC Milan's 20 million euros, but not as much as what we first heard, which was right around 25 million euros. ESPN reporting last week that Pulisic prefers Milan, over Lyon and that the player and Italian club have already agreed to personal terms. Herc, it may be your last chance to object. The deal seems all but done. Is AC Milan the right move for Christian Pulisic at this point in his career? Absolutely. It's it's the right move. Christian Pulisic is the biggest American player there is right now, and Chelsea was as big as it got when he got there. That's not the case for Chelsea anymore today. AC Milan is that team, and Christian Pulisic is that player, and we're talking about a player that's going to go into a situation where he's going to play. Uh, be it an mm. attacking midfielder, it was Charles uh, Kettler, the 22-year-old Belgium's there. He had a whopping zero goals, one assist last season. Christian Pulisic will be an upgrade over him. And on the right-hand side, uh, Salamakers or Junior Macias, he will be an upgrade over those two players as well. He will play with Milan, and this is what you need for Christian Pulisic. This is what Christian Pulisic needs absolutely today. He needs to play. He needs to find joy in his game. He needs to feel important, be important. He can be that at Milan. Pioli desperately wants him. Milan desperately wants him. This isn't a club that's going to spend money. Italian football is not just going to spend money to spend money. If they spend money on you, you will go, you will play, you will be a vital piece. This is what he needs. Absolutely the right move. All right. I'm with you to a point. There is lots to love about this move, uh, specifically the way AC Milan sets up, right? That 4-2-3-1 formation is perfect for Christian Pulisic because it gives him three different spots that he can play. And the way that they play it, I think is also important to note. It's a very aggressive press. They try to win the ball back as soon as they lose it. Well, he's, he's not, you know, he's not playing over Lau, but if Lau gets injured, he can slot in there, right? It's another, it's another fit. There are other formations 
Or maybe there's only one obvious role for Christian Pulisic or two. I think here there's three, and that's great. And so is the way that it's deployed, right? It's an aggressive press. It's going to lead to turnovers. And Christian Pulisic is at his best in transition, in turnover games. So I think that's where you're going to see him really succeed, Herc. But when you say absolutely, and you say he's going to play, is that is that the measure for success here? Or is the measure for success that he's going to start and he's going to start every week? Because at that point, I don't know if I give this a 10 out of 10. I think there were other clubs where I would feel much more confident about Christian Pulisic being a, a walk-in starter. I know, I know you mentioned the guys that are there. Apparently, they've also made a bid for Samuel Chukwese. If he goes, he probably takes that other wide spot. So that leaves Christian Pulisic just that one obvious fit in the lineup, Herc. You say absolutely, but I don't want Christian Pulisic to play at AC Milan. I want him to start. Am I asking too much? That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Chris. I just told you this. So you say Milan's 10 out of 10, you're confident he will start. For him to come off the bench. Yes, I'm confident he will start. I'm confident he will start over Salamakers, over Junior Macias. I'm confident he will start over Ketelar. Do you not think he's an upgrade over Ketelar? Do you, do you not think yeah. that's an upgrade, Christian Pulisic there? And, and could you imagine Rafael Leao on one end and Christian Pulisic on the other running at you? Uh, listen. I think this is a great move for Christian Pulisic as far mm -hmm. as playing time. There are other factors okay. we can get into and we will get into, but as far as yeah. playing time, I see him being an out-and-out -out starter here. A big piece of Pioli's system, a big piece of what Milan want to do in a team that will fight for trophies. Yes, mm -hmm. this is a great move. All right, as long as we're not going to have a repeat of the last few years at Chelsea where every week we were complaining about his playing time. To your, to your earlier point, let's judge his move from a career perspective. Do you feel like this is a step forward, Chelsea to AC Milan, or a step back? I feel it's a step forward. And the reason it's a step forward is many argue, well, Serie A isn't the Premier League, and I understand that, but it's also not Chelsea, which was a dumpster fire. A Chelsea was a situation you just mentioned for the last two years. He wasn't guaranteed any time. He would make the bench and not play when healthy. And that messed with them. That really got to him and his psyche and his overall playing ability on the field. So oftentimes, in a matter of coach, we could see him deployed as a right wing back, a false nine. We saw him in situations where it wasn't conducive to his style. Now, in Milan, he found a club that's a massive club, so... You go from a Chelsea, which is a massive club, to a Milan, which is a massive club. That's a win. You're still at a massive club. And you're going to be fighting for trophies in Serie, a, in Serie A and also in the Champions League. What other teams could he have gone to realistically that given you that yeah. opportunity to fight for trophies domestically in a big league with a big, big club and be in Champions League? Because the teams we were hearing was Lyon. And Lyon, with all due respect to John Texter, the owner there who really liked Christian Pulisic, isn't that team, not that type of club. He wasn't going to be fighting for important things. So this is a win any way you slice it. And yes, I will say a step up for him. Yeah, that's the key, right? We don't know what the other options were. You can absolutely make the case from a week-to-week -week standpoint the Premier League is a better league than Serie A. I think you can also point to the transfer fee, right? He went for big money to Chelsea, and we see, and of course yeah. you have the context, there's only one year left in that contract, but we see teams not really, you know, sh shuffling over that big money for Christian Pulisic. Maybe you could say that's a concern, but I think you sometimes in your career, you have to take a step backwards to take two steps forward. And I think that's clearly what Christian Pulisic is doing here. The one concern Ooh, here, though, Herc, is that it is that last... Italian football. It is. 
Well, I, I think if we talk in terms of the, of the status of the club, and of course, I'm not going to argue with you. Chelsea is a disaster Milan. right now. It's Milan. Okay. Okay. You're leaning a lot on history. Though. I think you, you're you being think a little unfair on Syria's Italian football of, right now. You think Serie A is ahead of the Premier League? No, I think Milan's ahead of Chelsea right now. Yeah. So your, I mean, your question I, was it's hard if it was argue. a move It's backwards. hard to argue. It's, it's Champions League. Hey, but that, may okay. not, that might not be the case for another five, ten years, right? I, I think we do have to say, if, if you would have thought things went well at Chelsea, the next move would not be AC Milan. It would have been a Real Madrid, a Barcelona, whatever you want, but it would have been something different. And I do think, Herc, this, is, this has got to be last chance saloon for him at a big club, right? Dortmund, he never really locked down a starting spot before he got the move. Chelsea, four different managers never locked right. down a starting spot. If he doesn't lock down a spot here at a place where it seems like they really, really want him, then that's it, right? At that point, there's no more big clubs coming in. You're right, and that's a very fair comment. Unlike your dig at Italian football, that's a fair comment, Seb. Not a dig at Italian football. Not a dig at Italian football uh, by any means. All right, well, there'll be plenty more on Christian Pulisic and Italian football on the coming editions of ESPN FC, which we should remind you is available seven days a week here on ESPN+. Plus. We'll be keeping an eye on all the news around Christian Pulisic as we await final word on his future. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Of course, as we mentioned off the top of the show, Herc in Frisco, Texas, home of FC Dallas, and of course the National Soccer Hall of Fame. One year Herc will go in, but how about a shout for uh, this year's class? Demarcus Beasley, Landon Donovan, Lauren Chaney Holiday, Kate Markgraf, Jill Ellis, and the indoor legend Steve Zungle. Shout out again to the uh, class of 2023. To continue our celebration of all things state of Texas, time to welcome into the show someone who grew up or at least launched his career there in the shadows of the National Soccer Hall of Fame, Reggie Cannon. Reggie, how you doing out there? I'm doing well, y'all. Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? I just asked a question. I was like, that was you who shot that? He's already roasted me. We're like I'm not. two seconds into the podcast already, bro. Nationally televised show Nationally that comes out in podcast show. format. I got to roast you back a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Her got hurt by that one. Her got, all right, uh, Reggie, we got to get into your club situation, man. Tell us, tell us what's going on. We read these reports. Uh, you're leaving Boa Vista over unpaid wages. Effectively, that makes you uh, a free agent. What happened over there in Portugal, man? Yeah, so there's a lot of things that go on, and I'll try to keep it general. Um, in Portugal, in the past three years, um, I've only been paid on time once. Um, 
And it's been difficult for the players. It's been difficult for the staff. You know, news just came out that the staff was behind payments for six months. You know, they're asking us to go talk to the president. And these guys are, you know, having to walk to work every day, every day in rain and junk like that. And it's, you know, this situation has been very difficult for me and my family. You know, every time I, I went back, I didn't have my visa because they didn't sort it. I would have to wait six hours in the airport. Um, you know, my, my tax situation wasn't sort I mean, I, I could just go on and on and on. And <clears throat> I have nothing but respect for the amazing fans of Boavista, for, you know, everyone I've I played with, uh, played for, the coaches I played for. And, you know, it's been honestly very difficult because, you know, I, I felt the passion. I felt the energy of the club and... It was just a difficult thing to to have to leave on on a basis of free agency and having just cause because there's just been so many things that have gone wrong. But you're a free agent; you can go elsewhere. Yes. Okay. Uh, right now, I I am currently a free agent. Um, I had unilateral just cause to terminate my contract, um, and so hopefully there's going to be uh, some exciting news in the coming days. But uh, I'm just going to try to keep it general for now. All right. Well, let's go to that exciting news in the coming days. Uh, where are you looking? Uh, will you be in Europe? Is there a move back to Major League Soccer? Where's your head at? Um, I currently, you know, want to stay in Europe. I still have much more to give, um, and I genuinely feel that, you know, I, I can make it to the top. Um, and that's just coming from my desire, my hunger, and it's honestly about being in a good situation. You know, in Boavista, I was playing out of position. Um, obviously, difficult conditions to play in. Um, so I'm very excited for this next move. Um, you know, wherever that may be, um, I'm open to anything. But I really think that it's it's going to be a great opportunity. Reggie, I want to be honest with you, man. I, I don't watch a ton of the Portuguese league. So tell us a little bit about kind of the level of Primeira Liga. Because if I go back to the World Cup decision, right, you getting left off the team, one of the, the strongest, you know, parts of your case is that you were not just in Europe, but contributing uh, in Europe. And I would have thought, hey, the, the level of the Portuguese league would kind of speak for itself. So give us a comparison there between what you're experiencing in Primeira Liga and, and what you know of the level of, of Major League Soccer. Um, I'm just going to come outright and say it. Um, Premier Liga is much more intense and much harder to play in than Major League Soccer. And that's no slight to Major League Soccer. It's obviously grown. It's obviously improved. Um, but there's nothing that'll compare to, you know, having a, a life or death game on the line when you're in the last game of the season. Your fans are surrounding the, the, the game. And if you lose, it's 1-1 in the 90th minute, you get relegated. Um, that type of intensity will, you know, won't be replicated because it's, it's so important for a player's growth and development. Um, and you can just see on the players that they have to give everything. It's not just, oh, we didn't make playoffs. We have three months off and go on vacation it's it's real and it's it's life or death over there um and as far as the you know the world cup decision um you know i i was shocked as you know anyone else i had was up to every camp for three years prior um under greg i had given everything and i felt i deserved to be on that roster so it was honestly a very shocking uh decision and i understand in the the game before against japan i tore my groin um you know 50 uh in the 55th minute but you know, like that, that's just the type of person I am. I play through it. And, you know, the injury played a difficult part into it, and I understand. But, um, you know, that, that decision really um, changed me. And I had to I had to work um, through my mental health, through everything to, to get back on the right page. But, you know, I'm fully confident right now that my focus is on getting to the right club and getting the right move. Reggie, you know, I, I'm a betting man, so I, I would have bet you would have been on that roster. You you were pretty much in every single camp, all the important tournaments. Um, I had you slotted in there. Take me to that moment when when you hear from the staff. What's the input you're receiving from them as to why you're not going? Yeah, and I completely understand coaches' decisions. Um, you know, if you feel a, a, another player is better, another player deserves the opportunity. 
that I completely understand that. But the thing I don't understand is um, the reasoning he told me. Um, and I, Greg has always been stand up with me, um, but I also feel at the same time that he, um, he gave me the wrong pieces of information to make that decision. Could you elaborate on that? So if, if it's a positional thing and you're telling me I'm playing out of position and that's why I'm not going to the World Cup, you then, months prior to the decision, you have to come speak with me and speak with my club because I can't control where I play. Right. I can't control what position I play. I can only control how I play right. and how, how much intensity I play, all the, all the things I can control. Okay, so if that's a decision that you feel that as a center back, it's just it's it's a positional thing, and we need a a, a right back. And okay, well then you need to talk to the the, cl- the club, let them know that, and then let me know what I can do to improve that. Because all until prior, I I believed 100% I was on the roster, I was playing well, I was flying, um, and so it was just one of those things that was a shock. So. Yeah. Back in that year, you were playing with Boa Vista. I believe you were a third center back there. Yep. You were inside right, mm-hmm. I believe. And I, you also played that under Greg Berhalter at yep. one time. So that, that does strike me as a little odd. Let's move forward. Um, now with this national team, what mm-hmm. do you think you need to do? Where do you see yourself and breaking, or how do you see yourself breaking back into this national team? Um, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I'm not very concerned with that at the moment. I'm very concerned with finding a great landing spot for my career and my family um, because I know once I get back to playing right back again and in a natural position at a club where the situation maybe is a lot better, um, I'm going to find the Reggie Cannon, the right back that can fly. And I know mm. that everything happens when when that's how Reggie feels. But right now, um, I, I I have no problem. You know, the decision of the World Cup, no problem. It was the way that it was handled. And I, I talked to a bunch of players. I, I, you know, it's hard because not a lot of the national team players reach out. Um, there were two, which obviously, you know, uh, I'm very close with. But I was the one who reached out to Pepe, to Mark McKenzie, to Eric Palmer Brown, all of the guys, Zach, to see how they felt. And, you know, the first thing they said was, I have no idea why you're not on that roster. And, mm. you know, it hurts. But... It is what it is. Um, you know, I just have to move on and find my game. I'm sure you probably said the same to Pepe and Zach Steffen. Of course, yeah. I said the same thing. I, I sent them voice messages like, man, like, I'm gutted for you too. You, you guys are fantastic players. And, you know, ultimately it's 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 football. It's the life we live. But I, mean, I can't help but feel, you know, some players deserved it. It's just life. And you go on. Reggie, uh, you're obviously in a bit of a position now because Greg Berhalter is coming back. I mean, your impressions of, of the rehire. Yeah, uh, you, if he deserves the job, then he deserves the job. Um, you know, I can't control that. I can only control how I play. So, you know, best of luck to him. And, you know, I hope, uh, you know, he has a great coaching career. And if I'm called back into the picture, you know, that'd be great. Um, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of things that's going to change with the national team, especially with the group that we have. You know, I think it's, uh, you know, we have got a very exciting group of young guys, just as, you know, we've always had. But I think it's going to be really interesting with this group going forward. Hey, Reggie, since you're in Dallas, uh, why don't we bring it back to kind of the beginnings of your career? Because, you know, you're one of the first guys that kind of proves the the pathway, right? Uh, FC Dallas up through the first team and then eventually making a move on to Europe. Uh, We've seen it replicated a bunch of times since. What is FC Dallas doing that maybe other teams around MLS aren't doing? Yeah, so Oscar was a big part of that. Um, you know, I was 15, 16, getting my butt kicked by Fabian Castillo on the wing, and <laughs> I was getting told by Oscar that you shouldn't be making excuses. You should be beating him. Like, there was no excuses. I don't care if you're 15. I don't care if you're 16. Win the duel. Um, and I had to learn how to survive. I had to learn how to win those duels. Um, and I think Oscar 
push me beyond our uh, my limits, um, especially with the, you know the homegrowns you hear about Paxton Weston, uh, yeah, Chris can, Richards. Yeah, I yeah, can yeah. go through the whole list, you know. Um, but I think Oscar really pushed those uh, a lot of us and those kids to to find the next level, and you had to or you wouldn't make it. Um, and just implementing the first team trainings at that young of an age, it really shows like how much you have to grow and those levels that you need to reach to be successful. Well, let's talk about some of those players that want to reach those levels to be successful. Excuse me, here in Dallas, mm -hmm. uh, a player that's making waves right now is Jesus Ferreira. Yeah, right. Now, mm -hmm. he's a hot rod amongst fans. And you know how that goes mm -hmm. with fans. But he's proven his worth, uh, worth, excuse me, goal scored, assist. Where do you see Jesus Ferreira's future? Um, Jesus has the quality to play in Europe. I think everyone knows it. Um, you know, He's like his touch is one of the cleanest I've ever seen of a striker in the box. You know, like relieving pressure with his first touch is something he's very, very good at, and he can kind of play as a false nine. Yes, yeah, so is he a nine for you? <laughs> you know, he's a. I think he's a pure nine, but he can play like a ten as well. Right. Um. You know, I think he's such a free roaming player. He's such a special player in my yeah. eyes. Um. You know, I think. In those big games, I think he's going to get tested more, and I think that's yeah. something that that's going to help him get to the next level because the competitions he's playing, and you know, he is playing against you know the teams that maybe aren't as strong as the the, the big global teams, but he's proven as every single time he deserves to be in that conversation. And Jesus is, has you know the most utmost respect for me because I grew up with him, I played with him, and he's a fantastic player. And he has the quality to do it in Europe, and I'll tell you right now. Unless you go to Europe, you're not going to see that best version of yourself. You won't get it out of MLS, and there's nothing wrong with that. No. But I do think he has the To compete in this pool of nines, does he have to leave? Does he have to go to Europe? Um, for me, I do think so. But um, now that Greg is back, I think he's very comfortable with the MLS uh, ideals and the MLS players, which is great because it involves everyone, incorporates everyone. Um, but for Jesus' potential... I think if he wants to reach that level that he clearly has in front of the goal, that that domination in front in the box, yeah. um, I definitely think that he needs to go to Europe because it is it is a culture shock. It is a different level. You start to ha you start to have center backs that know how to play against you, um, and nothing no, nothing against MLS, but I think yeah. that level he will find. Well, I mean, it's pretty clear that the, the Europe's level. ahead. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Reggie Cannon, man, great stuff. Awesome to have you with us here on Football America. As you teased us off the top, you said you might have a, some big news coming. Give us a timeline, like how quick you making looking to make this decision. Um, you know, I, I can't <laughs> I can't really get into the specifics. Um, you know, we we've got we've got great things coming, great things on the table. So you know, I'm really excited for my future, and honestly, I'm excited to. To, to play right back again. You know, the position I grew up loving and, you know, wanted to become a professional uh, by. So, you know, I really think it's going to be a great opportunity. Um, so we're just waiting to see. You watching this Gold Cup? Give me, give me a final. Who's your final? Um, is it fair to say U.S.-Mexico again? Because I feel like that's not really fair. I, I don't think it's going to happen, but you can say whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> no, dis I, I was talking to my barber's a big Mexico fan. I was, I was talking to him again and like, He's got no idea what's going on with Mexico. And, you know, I, I honestly, I, I don't either because... How long was that like, conversation? The Mexico that I faced... It's <laughs> it about an hour, I'm not going to lie to you. It's the whole haircut. But um, he, you know, Mexico, I don't know what's going on with them. They just, they, they look different, you know, right. they feel different. But, you know, you, all the credits to the U.S. They're dominating and that's, that's, that's what we got to do. So credits to them. And honestly, I hope they win the final. Let's go. And credit to your barber as well. There he is, uh, Reggie Cannon. Thanks again for the time here on Football <laughs> Americas. Great stuff. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Speaking of the U.S. men's national team, they are preparing for the Gold Cup quarterfinal Sunday in Cincinnati against Canada. Training Thursday, not in Ohio, in North Carolina, in Charlotte, where they, of course, finished off the group phase. Some news, midfielder Jackson Ewell has been added to the some bigger news. Our colleague Pilar Perez had a chance to catch up with some of the players, one of whom was Matt Turner, an American goalie, had to say. How do you feel with Greg coming back? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I think, you know, U.S. soccer has done a really great job of sort of going through the process, doing their due diligence all the way across the board. And I think that they've realized that he's sort of the guy that to, to lead us forward. And um, you know, for us players, we don't have the choice of who becomes our coach. And now, obviously, um, it's time to, you know, impress him. But for now, like, I just, my focus is really just completely here on this Gold Cup. Working under BJ has been great. And then when Greg comes back in, you know, reforming that relationship with him. I say reforming, but it never really fell apart. It never, like, went away. So, um, you know, getting back under the same roof as him and, and getting onto the field with new ideas and how do we create this culture and keep this culture going into 2026 or, you know, the Copa America and then, you know, another round of Nations League and Gold Cup and then, and then the World Cup and just keep chipping away and keep growing our, our culture and our environment. Yeah, there's a lot of things ahead of us, but when you go back and remember everything that you experienced in the World Cup, um, what's your first impression of what you did there and how this helped you to become who you are today? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's kind of a blur in some ways, you know, you're just so hyper-focused and so locked in being at the World Cup. So, you know, I definitely took my, t I actually got really sick after the World Cup. It was almost like my body just finally relaxed for a week and I got, I ended up getting really sick. I think I just was holding it in. I was chasing something for so long, for so many years, never really taking time off and just going and going and going. Um, and that, that was my body, I think, telling me to just take a deep breath and, and, you know, focus on the lessons that you've just learned and what you've just accomplished. And I think, you know, I, not only did I prove myself, you know, sort of on the world stage, which I felt like I definitely really belonged. Um, and, you know, it's not really just about me. It's about the country and growing the sport. And I think for me, um, you know, I set a precedent of what to expect in the future and how this national team can continue to compete going forward at the highest of high levels. Finally, um, you already know who is your next opponent, Canada. How do you imagine that match will be? Because uh, a few of them actually plays in the MLS, so you know them. Exactly, yeah. I think, you know, it's going to be two teams that know each other very well. We played not that long ago also. Obviously, it's a different crop of players kind of on both sides, but it's going to be a great game. And, you know, we don't want to look at it as sort of the USA versus Canada. It's For us, it's a quarterfinal matchup, and we're going to play whoever we were going to play against. We're going to go out there and put out our best performance. And uh, we're, we're happy to be playing in Cincinnati in front of those fans. Mm -hmm. I think that's a stadium that really feels like home to us. 
Great work from Pilar as we take a look at the Gold Cup bracket now set on Saturday in AT&T Stadium. We've got the doubleheader, Panama, Qatar, then Mexico, Costa Rica, and then Sunday at Cincinnati's TQL Stadium, Guatemala, Jamaica, ahead of USA, Canada. Let's start with the uh, two teams we tend to focus on on this show, Herc. The United States and Mexico. Between those two, who do you think is more likely to get upset in the quarterfinal? Uh, to get upset in a quarterfinal here, I think it's Mexico. And it's a combination of a few things. I know Costa Rica's struggling. I know the Costa Rican fan base wants nothing more of Luis Fernando Suarez. They want to get rid of him. And they may be right. Actually, you are right. You, you should get rid of that coach. You're going nowhere without him or with him. But Mexico's struggling right now as well. And, and the first two games maybe were papering over cracks, right? It's the Jimmy Lozano effect, the Lamborghini, everything's fine, we're winning, we're scoring goals, the players are happy, and then it's Qatar in a game you thoroughly dominated, and you come crashing back down. And the reason you come crashing back down is because now this team, a team that mentally, I don't want to say weak, but is shocked, coming against a Costa Rican team that is very gritty, very difficult to play against, maybe defensively has their own issues, gave up four goals to Martinique, but a team that out of the six goals they scored against Martinique, four were on dead balls. Something set pieces, something that Mexico thoroughly struggles with. A team that is lethal in transition with players like Joel Campbell. A team that always plays Mexico to the brink. Last Gold Cup, it was actually, if I memory serves me right, penalty kicks uh, that ended up being the difference between the two. This is a team that knows how to play against Mexico, and Mexico right now is a team that's wounded. And then if you look at the other side, it's the U.S. that on paper is just more talented than Canada. And I, for the life of me, do not know what John Herdman is doing. John Herdman, just keep your mouth shut. John Herdman, just don't say anything. John Herdman, please, for the life of me, I cannot understand why you keep trying to give a team that is better than you bulletin board material. It's not hyping up your team. It's just setting them up for failure. So right now, out of the two, it would have to be Mexico. Yeah. John Herdman uh, saying, bring it on, and that Canada wanted the U.S. in the quarterfinal. It's the matchup they wanted. Look, i got to be honest with you, Eric. I don't see either of these teams going out in the quarterfinals or really being threatened. And that's not to say that I think the U.S. and Mexico are so great, right? We, we know what happened with Mexico against Qatar. And the United States really only played one real team in that group phase. And I think we agreed on this show. They were not the better team, right? They were lucky to get out of that game. Right with a draw, they very easily could have lost to Jamaica. So I'm not necessarily impressed with what USA and Mexico have done. I'm that confident. But you got to look at what these other teams are, man. Canada shipped multiple goals against Cuba and Guadalupe. What are they going to what are they going to give up against yeah. the United States and Costa Rica? Costa Rica has not brought anybody. They got five dudes on this roster. That's it. Who coming into this tournament had more than 15 caps. I mean, this Costa Rica team on paper is bad. And then if you saw them play at all, forget the 2-1 loss to Panama. I'll accept that. The 0-0 against El Salvador El was Salvador. a war yeah. on the beautiful game. I mean, that was a that that was among bad games in the Gold Cup, that was about as bad as I've seen. So I don't think this Costa Rica can truly threaten. I don't think this Canada can truly threaten. If I'm picking Mexico, and I do think Mexico is safer here, Herc, it's because I think the gap between Mexico's A's and Costa Rica's Bs, which, by the way, Costa Rica's Bs don't have Keylor Navas, and that's a huge difference maker, is, is much more significant they than don't the gap have between Navas any Gold Cup. Is the USA Bs and Canada's Bs. That's the difference here for me. That said, Herc, if Mexico 
lose to this Costa Rica, this Mexico. We can talk about the fracaso at the World Cup. We can talk about the 3-0 against the U.S. in the Nations League. Those might be more impactful, but this would be a new rock bottom. And we can forget talking about federation and coaches and da-da-da-da-da and all that stuff. Hurt. At this point, if this version of Mexico, which is as close as you can get pretty much to the A team, loses to a Costa Rica that really has not brought anybody, it is a huge, huge indictment of the Mexican player. And I'm worried, Herc, that we're getting closer and closer to that conversation. The Mexican players, if they have anything left, have to have a response against this version of Costa Rica. You know, for somebody who's certain that it's more likely to happen that the U.S. men's national team loses mm -hmm. to this Canadian team than the Mexican team to the Costa Rican team, you've got a lot to say about Mexico and the what-ifs, what would happen if they lost. You are the most pessimistic her. person I know when it comes to the Mexican national team. I'm Hold nervous. On. You are the most pessimistic person I know. Mm -hmm. Okay. You honestly think it's... Trust me, it's a game. Anybody can lose. Of course, of course, but of course. Off of what you've seen in this, no, I know, but off of what you've seen in this first round of games, out of these two teams, you're going to tell me the U.S. is more likely to lose than Mexico? Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and again, I'm pointing, I, I, if I look at the Qatar game, okay. right? The Qatar game is a disastrous, terrible, awful result. It is not what we've seen from Mexico in the past, Herc, which is terrible performances. It's exactly what we've seen from Mexico in the past. It's exactly what we – they, do, they dominated shot no, creation. No, 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 no. no they Mexico has not been dangerous and they can't for years. It's exactly what we've seen from them. No, 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 no. Mexico, no. Mexico oh, lost me. its danger. I'm confused lost its edge under Tata you. Martino. <laughs> lost its edge. This Seb, Mexico Seb, was dangerous. They couldn't you finish. Bring up, you bring up a game – you bring up a game – that the U.S. did not lose to prove why they will lose. And you neglect the game in which Mexico did lose mm -hmm. to back your argument of why they won't lose. Right. Make that Mexico make sense. Mexico looked better. Mexico looked better losing to Qatar, created more chances, was more dangerous than the U.S. against Jamaica, Her And this is the U.S. B team. I'm leaning on this roster as well. Mexico looked like Mexico better hasn't its A team. losing and that than the U.S. did not losing. Yes, Herc. Yes, Herc. You have, to, you have to acknowledge Mexico played well in the okay. first two games. And the third game is a fluke. It's a fluke. They have not played terribly for three straight games leading into this. Who I can't throw the Mexican performances. I'm not trying to defend the U.S. Here, but who had, better competition, who had better competition out of the two in the group? In the group? In the group? Oh, by far Mexico. By far Mexico. Across the three games, had, by far Mexico. They played Jamaica? The U.S. The US had Jamaica? two training matches, Herc. Please. Please. They played the Jamaica. One what was Honduras? That, that wasn't a training match. Uh, Honduras Qatar is, shot once on goal. Honduras is that more than a training Kitts, match. Her. Honduras is more than St. Kitts. It's more than Trinidad, who didn't even qualify for the tournament. Her. Please. Hold on. Hold on. Please. Who played better competition? Was Jamaica not in their group? Jamaica's the best Jamaica's team out of the brother, other team. You know this. I know they are. I know they are. Let's get to Jamaica. Jamaica's my friend. You, you know. You know this. You know this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Let's get to Jamaica, because they Go are ahead. in this bracket as well. Get to Jamaica, man. So, of the underdogs, of the remaining underdogs, right? we talked about Canada, we talked about Costa Rica. So that leaves us Qatar and Guatemala. Who do you think is the bigger threat in the quarterfinal? I think it's Qatar. Now, hmm. I'll mention something on Guatemala in a bit, but Qatar is just that team, Carlos Quiroz, that... It's just ugly. It's gritty. I mean, our our colleague at ESPN Deportes and Anperida pretty much asked Carlos Quiroz post game 
You, <laughs> pretty much ask Carlos, you are something else. Pretty much ask Carlos Quiroz after the game if he was okay with the way his team played. And Carlos Quiroz said, hey man, listen, realistically, we have to play this way. It's part of the art of winning. We don't have the players to play any different. I'm doing what I need to do to win, okay? They're that type of team. They will grind, defend, make a dirty transition uh, with one striker. Uh, and here's the thing with Panama. Panama's probably the the most well-worked team in this tournament. I say that with confidence. They're mm -hmm. probably they're, they're one of the best coach, most well-worked team in this tournament, but they don't have punch. They lack punch up top. They don't score a lot of goals. They're well-worked, well-versed, but they're not necessarily convincing. Qatar can easily put in a performance like they did versus Mexico, and Panama doesn't have the punch of a Mexico. So I can easily see this happening. Guatemala, on the other hand, Cinderella story. The mm -hmm. best thing, I will repeat, I've said this in multiple platforms, mm -hmm. the best thing about Guatemala is their people, is the mm -hmm. fan base. Easily the best fan base in this tournament. Everywhere they go, they fill up the stadium, no problems, all fun, all support for their team. And because of that fan base, they've helped this team, this team, get to where they are. But the show stops here. It's in front Oof. of Jamaica. And Jamaica is a very good team. Jamaica has more power. Jamaica has more players. Jamaica has more talent. And I think the bus ride stops here for them. All right, I'm going Guatemala. I'm going to give them the edge, right? I think one of the things we always talk about Jamaica is that the talent, especially on paper, doesn't always lead to performances, right? And I know they racked up a bunch of goals in the group phase, but if I go back to that US game, they played well, but they couldn't capitalize. And you get into knockout rounds, you have to capitalize, and you're gonna have to capitalize her against one of the hottest goalies in this tournament. Nicolas Hagen, he's six foot four, so one, he's a big target. He's got two clean sheets to his credit, and actually I think his best performance might have been uh, against Guadalupe in the group phase finale. He was standing on his head. He's the reason that Guatemala is able to come back in that game and get the three to win and eventually go on to win the group. And then finally, what you mentioned, Herc, is what we saw at Red Bull Arena was an incredible home field advantage for this team, you have seen it. You have been there in the stands. I'm glad to hear you give us the color of it. I think it could make a difference for them against Jamaica. Still massive underdogs, her. But I, I got to believe in an underdog yeah, and a massive Cinderella story set. here. Go on. Yeah, now, yeah, Hagen, the, the goalkeeper for Guatemala, he was also at fault uh, in one of those goals. And you yes. have to acknowledge how circumstantial this game was for mm -hmm. Guatemala. I, I, they missed a penalty. Guadalupe missed a penalty kick. And then there was a play where you thought the referee was going to ruin it for Guatemala standing in front of the player. Uh, and finally, the player gets it, shoots it, and Guadalupe's goalkeeper should have had it. It's very circumstantial game that leads them to be in this opportunity. And also, okay. do you remember Canada-Guadalupe? I mean, Guadalupe equalizes in the last minute of that game. There are circumstances that see Guatemala top this group today. I didn't have them topping the group. I had them second place behind Canada. That said, it's a Cinderella story. And I repeat, mm -hmm. the best part of Guatemala's run are its people, its fan base. But they don't have the talent. They're not as deep. Um, they will really struggle to run with a team like Jamaica. They gave Guadalupe a ton of opportunities, and if you give Jamaica those opportunities, players like Mikel Antonio, Leon Bailey, Damari Gray, they will hurt you. Yeah, I think this show stops here for them. All right, uh, Guatemala's underdog status reflected very much in the Gold Cup futures. Who will win it all, according to Caesars? Mexico still the favorite, plus 120. U.S. might be a good value. Herc, I know you love that Jamaica at plus 800 uh, to win it 
all. All right, uh -huh. up next, time to dive back into our series of one-on-one -on -one interviews with members of the U.S. Women's National Team leading up to the World Cup. We'll start today, the first of two, with Crystal Dunn. your second World Cup. How does it feel? It feels amazing. Um, it never really gets old. You appreciate every moment that you get to kind of step on this uh, global stage. I've been following your career for a long time. I remember 2015, the Crystal Dunn Revenge Tour after you were left off uh, the roster that time. When you look back at that, how has that influenced your career? Oh, I think that moment has shaped me um, into the player and person that I am today. I think I, from that moment, learn to invest in myself in more ways than I even thought I needed to at that time. Um, I, I honed in on my craft, I honed in on who I was as a player, and I didn't let a coach's decision at that time dictate who I get to be as a player. It's interesting because at that time, everybody was talking about you as an attacker. Of course, <laughs> now you play a defensive role. Describe to me that transition and kind of her, how it was first put to you. because. From your days at North Carolina, I always thought of you as this kind of bright attacking player. I'm sure that's not something that comes easy. Uh, it does not come easy. Um, I think it's something that I had to work through. Um, you know, people always ask what, what's the most challenging part of it, and it's not picking up a new position, playing a new position. I think at the same time, it's like you're playing soccer, so it's not, you know, you could just wrap your head around the idea of like, my job is to keep the ball, get it, play hard, all that stuff you do, whether you're in the midfield or the outside back role. I think I struggled with um, identity. I struggled with, you know, people seeing me as this attacking player, and then now you almost have to like rebrand yourself as, a, as an outside back. And I think I struggled with the idea that I had to kind of earn respect and earn fans in um, this position that not many people knew I even played. Um, and so I think that was the hardest thing is wrapping my head around that new identity. And how'd you do it? Um, I just did what I could do and that's just kind of ball out in the position. I mean, at the end of the day, how you earn respect is being consistent and, and um, you know, playing at a high level. And I think that's kind of where I led into 2019 was just like this coming out party of like, this is Crystal Dunn, the outside back. Like those that know me as Crystal Dunn, the midfielder, like, yeah, like she still exists from, you know, from time to time. But I think playing on this team, um, it was about me kind of proving and showing that I can uh, do, get the job done. At some point, and we know Blatko's even talked about it. I think fans talk about it a lot. Like a lot of fans <laughs> want to see you further up the field. But now you can, you know, you can look around at time and say, well, I have to play left back because that's where the team needs me. Yeah. Now there are some other options. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Does, does that kind of change how you approach the potential for this World Cup and what your role might be? Um, not really, because unless my coach has told me otherwise, like my my role on this team is to play outside back, you know. And I think, um, you know, if and when Blacko needs me elsewhere, he'll definitely approach me and, um, you know, have that conversation with me. But I think as of now, um, he sees me as an outside back, and my job is to, uh, you know, compete and be the best that I can be at that at position. Do you feel a little bit hard done? Because I, I think like. Most players want to be versatile, and that's going to get you work. But there's a curse I always think of the versatile player yeah. that the coach, the coach kind of holds on to you as this card to be played at any time, yeah. as opposed to well, what does what does Crystal yeah. do best? What does Crystal want to do best? Do you ever feel that? Uh, 
Uh, I mean, yeah, I think that's like a very normal and natural feeling when you're told, hey, you're gonna play here today, the team really needs you here. I think, it, you know, initially, if you're a team player, you're gonna say, okay, coach, like, I'll do what it takes for the team to be successful and for me to also play. Um, but I think it is something that I battled with the idea of like, okay, is this a compliment? Is this a backhanded compliment? Is this a blessing? Is this a curse? Um, but I think being versatile has been a part of my brand. It's been who I am. And um, I think it's something that I can't pull away from. I think the more that I fight against it, the, the worse I probably play as a player because then I'm caught up in what I want. And sometimes it's not about what you want. Um, and if it was, obviously then, we know I'd probably pick a different position, but it's not ultimately up to me. It's about what the team needs. And I want to be there for my team. I want to compete. I want to play well. Um, and if that's as an outside back, then here we go. Can we dive in on parenthood a little bit? Because I'm, I'm so curious about the decision. It's a decision women face that men don't face. If, if a guy wants to have a kid in the middle of his career, there, there'll be an impact, I'm sure, but, but nothing compared to what you're going through. So yes. when, you, when you're weighing that, like, mm -hmm. what is that decision like? Um, what are you taking into account there? Yeah, I mean, for me, I was uh, pretty burnt out at a time where um, it was on the back end of the Olympic year, um, I think due to COVID and just the status of the world, uh, all many different issues that we had to combat within a short amount of time. I think I found myself needing pause, you know, hitting the pause button on my career. And I was nervous about that decision, but I think at the same time, I was like, I wanna be a mom. And I believe in myself to be able to come back and um, pursue my career after I become a mom. Um, so I took that decision, um, I ran with it, um, and I was very proud of the fact that I committed to being an athlete all throughout my pregnancy. Um, I still was playing soccer for a good chunk of time until I was you know, giving birth, but I think um, the journey was incredible and being a mom, I think has given me um, such a new perspective on life and it's made me a better player. As you're trying to get back to this level, what's the biggest challenge there? Um, to anyone who's given birth um, and is coming back to you know pursue like a physical kind of job, I would say it's weird to treat yourself as like you had an, it's not like an injury, but you're like treated as if you're coming back from an injury. So I think that was the hardest thing is like, overall I was like my knees and ankles and my body feels good, but like, why can't I play? And then you realize like there's so many physiological changes that go on in your body that you need to take time. You need to be okay kind of uh, staying patient. And I think that was the biggest challenge is like feeling like I can kind of wake up and go play, but I was like, maybe I should take a, another month, you know? So that was hard. <laughs> Team's coming off a title. You're the defending World Cup champions. What are the expectations this time around? I'm sure the expectations uh, for those who are supporters of the team are is to win, you know, and I think that is where our expectations lie as well. Um, but we know it's not easy. So as much as we want to win and we think we can, um, it's it's one day at a time, one game at a time. How different is the field? And what I mean by that is we hear a lot about the rest of the world and, and kind of People always say catching up, but I think yeah. getting closer to the U.S. women's national team yeah. for the longest time, the standard bear. Mm -hmm. That's a reality, isn't yeah. it? And so how does that, that change kind of the approach to the tournament? I mean, it's not a new headline. It's been a reality. I feel like every World Cup, uh, you know, has been about teams catching up, teams getting better. Um, and for me, I'm like, that is amazing. We want the world to catch up. We want the women's game across the board to be at a very highly competitive level. Um, and so it doesn't 
instill any fear in us. We know that every every game is a battle. Every team is going to throw something at us that we have to be prepared for. Um, and so we don't approach this World Cup any differently than than the past ones. We want to win. We want to compete. And um, you know, we just know it's going to be a, a difficult challenge ahead. Can you give me some perspective on the differences between this team and the one that won it all four years ago? There's 14 new players, but other than that. Uh, <laughs> um, it is a different group. Uh, a lot of players that are stepping into their first World Cup, which I'm super excited for them. Um, but I also know it comes with some nerves from them, you know, and I think that that's totally fine. That was me last go around. Um, the feeling of, okay, I've never been here before. Like, how do I approach this situation? How do I balance all the roller coaster of uh, emotions that you may feel? Um, but I think we have a, a really talented group. Um, and so with pressure and inexperience comes opportunity. So these players have an opportunity to make their debut, uh, which is incredibly exciting. Um, and what they do with the opportunity is obviously on them and managing all the, all the feels. Crystal Dunn, congratulations on making yet another World Cup roster. Good luck. Thank you very much. Always great to sit down with Crystal Dunn. Lots of folks want to see Crystal in a more attacking role with the national team. Here's a look at her stats with the Portland Thorns this season, where, of course, she does play in the midfield. And I'll tell you, as a player coming out into the field with that type of crowd, you are pumped up. Over 80,000 will be here. The largest standalone crowd in MLS history. Somos el equipo de la ciudad y muy contento de ser de este equipo. El tráfico at the Rose Bowl on July 4th. What a scene and what a game. 26 minutes. Tyler Boyd into the area and Herc does this. I mean... Seriously? And my man only does it versus LAFC, Seb. It's insane. This man only scores against LAFC, and they're always bangers. Boyd makes it 1-0 into the second half. Same score. Ilya Sanchez, the header to make it 1-1. Yeah, not the guy you would have bet on to score that goal. Ilya Sanchez over. Tyler Boyd there. A very good goal. Level things up. 73rd minute Galaxy in transition. Boy, to Ricky Pooch. How about that for a game winner, Herc? Yeah, look at Ricky Pooch. He's putting in an overdrive. He's a half-field run. Good ball in by Tyler, uh, excuse me, by Boyd. And what a finish. Ricky Pooch with the game winner in the 73rd minute in front of more than 80,000 fans at the Rose Bowl in the LA Galaxy. Beat their city rivals, LAFC, by a final score of 2-1. to one. Was very much the Ricky Pooch, Tyler Boyd show. They've continued to have success against the Galaxy's top foe in LAFC. There you see the numbers to back it up. All right, Herc, it's a big result for the LA Galaxy, but are you buying this as a turning point for their season? No. No, 
Because the third, excuse me, because the turning point in their season was when they let Chris Klein go, and that's a reality. Since this team, we're looking at a team that's gone undefeated in the last five. Mm. We're looking at a team mm. that, even though they lost one of their DPs in Chicharito Hernandez, looks like a better team. Even though Preston Judd only has three goals, this looks like a better team. Now, the reality is they're still sitting in 13th place and in 20 games, mm -hmm. 19 points. It doesn't look great on paper. Here's another reality. Six points away from the playoff line. Those are two wins. So you can absolutely, if you want to say this is a turning point, use it as a turning point. But here's another reality. Unless this team gets deeper, because you can't mm. rely on a Preston Judd up top with nine goals, it's a great number for him. He's a very young player finally playing. It's a great number for him. But unless you can get a consistent nine, and Jovalich has not proven to be that consistent nine, unless you get more playmakers, unless you can continue to get the production from players like Douglas Costa, who in the last five games has four assists, or Ricky Pooch, who on his day, when he wants to, is absolutely one of the best, if not the best player in Major League Soccer. Unless you can continue to get that type of production from those players, then no, it won't yeah. be a turning point in this season. But it feels like a weight has been lifted from this team's shoulders. It feels like Greg Vanny himself, you saw the celebrations after the game with Ricky Pooch, him yelling into the camera. It feels like everybody on this team feels different. And I attribute that different feeling to the departure of Chris Klein. Yeah, if this was on the heels of a winning streaker, because you talk about the unbeaten streak, but there were four straight ties, uh, which aren't wins. And at this point in the season, man, the Galaxy have room to make up. Yes, they're only six points out of a playoff spot, but there's four teams between them and Vancouver who right now holds the last playoff spot. They got to jump four other teams just to get to ninth. So I think there's still a long way to go for the LA Galaxy. Call me at the end of the month, because I think at the end of August, Herc, we're going to have a much better idea if this team can even, even make a run to right. sneak back in. You got Philly next, which is, which is no small task. Then you got Vancouver and RSL, two of the teams you're chasing. Vancouver is a, is a realistic team. RSL a little bit further up the pecking order. And then after that, you got, a, you got Chicago, who Chicago is a team that the LA Galaxy, if they are turning a corner, need to beat and beat convincingly. If at the end of August, they've strung together some, something there, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll buy into it then. But at this point, off one game in front of 80,000 fans, and I think that's important to point out here, Herc, you weren't at the game, I wasn't at the game, but producer Beto was at the game. He said the vibe was incredible. Surely that had a big part in what we saw from the LA Galaxy, which felt like not what we've really been seeing from them all season. I don't want to call it a fluke, but it was definitely inspired, and I don't think you can replicate it. What do we call it now? Dignity Health Sports Park? Yeah, here's another reality. It was against LAFC. And what I mean by that, it's a rivalry game. And I don't think there are favorites in rivalry games. There never are. I don't care if you're the LA Galaxy or if you're LAFC. This is a toss-up for me. These are two teams that don't like each other, that for whatever reason, when they play each other, there's always fireworks and it happened to be the Galaxy on top in this go-around. But there is something happening. And I think to deny what's happening in Los Angeles for the Galaxy would do not acknowledge what you're looking at. Uh, Herc, what about LAFC? This is their third straight loss. It drops them to third, actually tied for second, but on tiebreakers, third in the Western Conference. What's wrong with this team? And if you're an LAFC fan, how worried are you? Is this a blip or something bigger? I'd be worried. I'd be worried, man, because I, I've seen this movie before. We saw it last season with the Seattle Sounders who made it to the final but won their final in the CONCACAF Champions League against Pumas. And, and what happened the aftermath after that? Excuse me. And what happened after that? It was a Seattle Sounders that 
hit rock bottom. I mean, for the first time in their history, Major League Soccer history, they didn't make the playoffs. They ran out of steam. Uh, these games started coming to a head, too many games at once, injuries, et cetera, et cetera, and they weren't the same team that played in that CONCAP Champions League. The same thing happening right now with LAFC. Since that series versus Leon, this is a different team. They've lost eight out of the last 11 games. Hmm. We're seeing players injured. Malik Tillman went on a string of injuries. We're seeing players who aren't producing to their same level. Carlos Vela, Denny Bowanga, Denny Bowanga, who at one point in the first 13 games had 10 league goals. He's had one goal since mid-May. There's a difference in player level. There's a difference in the spirit, the mentality of these players, of that team. They're a shell, their former self. I would be worried if I'm an LAFC fan. Do they need to get, get busy here in the summer? Do they need to, to make some moves? We saw what they did last summer. It was huge. It was a big part. Even though, even though the form dropped, uh, at the end of the day, it's the depth that they added that helped them win MLS Cup. I think you can look at the roster now and say, uh, at least on paper, it does not feel as deep as last year. Herc, you, you want them to shop? Do they need to to kind of get back in that elite list of MLS Cup contenders? I think they're, I think they're shopping. I think that's what's going on right now. Uh, producer Betha just you know, whispered in our ear, Opoku left. Yeah. Opoku left, and a lot of money came in for him. Usually when you make a move like that, it's because you're preparing something big. I would expect something big from LAFC. I think they're the one team right now in the market that you can guarantee wants to make a splash and will make a splash. So I expect something big from them, but they absolutely need to go shopping. I don't think you can rely on what you have if you want to repeat or even come close to it. Speaking of shopping... Why don't we discuss Rodolfo Pizarro? Because as Inter-Miami continues to talk about adding big names. Yes, Lionel Messi. But now we're talking about Alba, Busquets. I hear a Sergio Ramos thrown in there as well. You got to make room. You got to make room, especially when it comes to your designated players. And there is talk now that the LA Galaxy are potentially interested in trading with Inter-Miami for Rodolfo Pizarro. Now, it makes sense for Inter-Miami. Probably makes sense for the Galaxy. Maybe we'll get into that. But what about the player himself? Well, he is speaking. Here is what Rodolfo Pizarro had to say on Major League Soccer's in-house trading policy. Quote, I didn't know I could be traded anyway. It's a bit strange. I think it's the only league in the world that does this. All right, Herc. There's an are you cool with it here, and, and, I, and I want to ask you if you're cool with how MLS does business. But first, because you have experience with this, explain quickly what exactly is going on here with FIFA Pro rights and what kind of players knowingly give up when they come to this league. Right. So there are those things called FIFA Pro rights. It's the basic rights that any player under FIFA has within FIFA and the teams that FIFA governs. So that means like if you're waived, uh, if you are let go, what liability club, said club has uh, to pay you and when you get paid, et cetera, things like that. They're basic rights, working rights. Now, when you sign with Major League Soccer, your standard Major League Soccer contract, you are asked to waive those rights. That means there are unilateral clauses that aren't relevant in the rest of the world that you're waiving. There are also clauses in there um, like trade clauses. So you can get traded uh, anywhere in the world. They can't say, hey, mid-season, you're going somewhere else. That's not how it works. And against your will here, well, that's how it works. And against your will, the only way to not do it is to say, I don't play anymore. Mm. So if the Colorado Rapids wanted Rodolfo Pizarro, they get Rodolfo Pizarro. And Rodolfo Pizarro would have to go because they are still providing him with his wages. Because he 
and his camp signed away, waived those fee mm-hmm. pro rights. Now, you know only waive these rights. That is the issue at hand. So, are you cool with it? Is this something that MLS should continue? I'm absolutely cool with it. Yes, and here's why. Rodolfo Pizarro had no problem using Major League Soccer when he needed somewhere to make millions. He had no issue coming to Southern Miami and making his money. He had no issue when his agent, in a way, strong-armed and created a secondary market to create money for his client. Now, this is on you, and this is on your camp for not even not reading the fine print, just not knowing what the hell you got into. How are you a FIFA agent and not know that you waived these rights and that you have a DP player and you don't have the common sense of putting in a no trade clause for your DP, which a majority of big time DPs have. This is on his camp. Now where it gets tricky and I know where you want to go is what about the rest of the mortals? Because not every player (laughs) is a DP player. That's a little different. That's a tricky situation and and that's where I'm not cool with it. It's very difficult to say These are professional footballers. That's what they're paid to do. North American sports. Let them do it. Listen, not everybody's a single man like Rodolfo Pizarro who makes millions. There are some players who aren't making millions who are, I don't want to say living check to check because that's not the case, but aren't saving for their futures. And in the middle of a season, need to break leases, break mortgages, uproot their families into different cities. That's a bit much. That's a bit harsh. That's not what you signed up for. So that's where I have and take issue with it. Yeah, it's a very American thing, the trade, right? It's a very American sports thing, the trade. MLS, when they kind of launched their model, it was very much like everybody else in American sports. I wonder if as the league grows and we kind of get away from some of those things, if this is something that eventually will give way, because as you try to attract more and more talent, surely some folks will look at Rodolfo Pizarro as a cautionary tale. They'll hear this and say, I can just get traded without my consent. I might have to end up at a club I don't want to be at. I might have to end up, to your point, at a city, in a place I don't want to be at. And I wonder if if that could be a problem for MLS as it continues to recruit uh, against teams in the global space. Let's get to some Liga Mekis action, Herc. Big game. Go ahead. Go ahead, Herc. Go ahead, Herc. Quickly. No, I was just going to add, I mentioned this a while back with Giovanni Dos Santos being a cautionary Mm. towel. I mean, they bought him out and then literally discarded him. And it was like, hey, you're gone. And I think that's literally what was the nail in his coffin, his, his career. If you think about it, he's not recouped since. Sure, he went to Club America, but that's it. That's gone. You know, this is, this is honestly something I think hurts the perception of Major League Soccer. These are big-time players, because the contract indicates so, coming to Major mm-hmm. League Soccer for the opportunity in what is a contract that works for me, works for you. But now... You can just be discarded at any time. I seriously think this hurts the perception for Major League Soccer abroad. Leon Chivas firing it up in the midweek. Pick this one up in the fourth minute. Chivas with a chance. Pavel Perez with a shot just wide. Yeah, you thought that was going in too. Pavel Perez gets it on the bounce and just kind of slices off that left foot. Leon looking for their opener. I mean, Barreiro. Crossbar. Yeah, this is a difficult one because you think Watcher Jimenez should come out and get this. He kind of stays in no man's land and off the crossbar. 21st minute. Chivas on the attack. Ricardo Marin looks to touch it with his hand, but your boy, Pollo Briseño, he don't mind. Goal. 
Pollo celebrated. It looks like a handball. No, it comes off the foot of the Leon player. You can see right there. And then look at that. Slots it away like a nine. Another look. There's the perceived touch. El Pollo with the finish. One nothing Chivas. Four minutes later, Leon strike back. Jose Alvarado. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great ball in. A lot of venom and the header is just right. Into the second half, still 1-1. Victor Guzman. Oh, post. Watch this touch by Victor Guzman. It's a ridiculous, nasty touch. He just can't get his foot around that ball off the post. 81st minute, Jonathan Padilla. Padilla makes his debut, eight minutes on the field, and it's Rodolfo, it's Rodolfo Cota's birthday. Don't do that to him. That's the dagger. Play the kids. William Tessio there with the shot, denied by the post. Yeah, through a lot of traffic. Leon pushing forward, looking for the equalizer. 87th minute, late chance over the bar. Whoa. Yeah, Tessio just gets underneath that. And that'll do it. Chivas playing the kids and picking up three points over the reigning champions of CONCACAF. Speaking of champions, they will be celebrated July 12th at the ESPYs. Vote now, ESPN.com or the QR code on your screen. have you with us uh, let's start with the most pressing question how are you feeling right now we know you had the the injury in April where you at mm -hmm. I'm feeling good yeah I'm feeling good I'm um, making a lot of progress I'm excited to get in with the team and um, get things going you face that rush to fitness mm -hmm. while worrying about a spot in the World Cup mm -hmm. what's that like yeah I mean I think Whenever you're going through an injury, I think the most important part is just kind of staying present and staying, you know, I think if I look too far ahead, obviously it can get a um, little stressful. It feels like an uphill climb, which it is, but um, I think I just kind of took it one day at a time and um, I'm still doing that. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's obviously um, a frustrating thing to be in, but um, I think in the end it, it makes you stronger. Sure. I can see why it'd be frustrating, but at the end of the day, there is that end you know, end of the tunnel light. Vladko Anonofsky calls you. When you get that call from the coach, after all you've been through, what's that feeling like? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it really, it doesn't get old. I think playing for this team is like such an honor and privilege. And I think everybody who's been in this environment knows what it takes to, um, to be on the team. So um, it's been, it's been a, a journey and um, had its ups and downs, but obviously it's like such an honor. And I think when you get the call, it's just like relief. You can take a deep breath and then um, focus on the next thing. When the manager makes that decision and you have been injured, 
there's a level of faith shown in you as a player. What does that make you feel? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's obviously really nice that Vlaco has confidence in me that um, I'll be able to step in, even coming off an injury, and um, play a role for this team, whatever that is. And um, yeah, I think I'm just I'm ready to go and to the tournament and fulfill whatever is asked of me and um, very grateful that Flacco has the confidence in me to do that. I can see why he brought you. Everybody who watches you play talks about a unique talent, especially in the American game. We see a lot of physicality. You have that that creativity, that guile. Where does it come from? Um, I always credit my like first soccer trainer. He was little. I've, I've talked about him before. He was this little English English guy and I feel like he just made soccer so much fun for me and um, kind of had that creative um, side to his coaching and I feel like that really like infiltrated how I played and how I learned the game and um, yeah I think he's like the biggest reason why I have grown into the player that I have. Is it fair to say there's some like street baller in your game because a lot of times that gets coached out and and yet it's something that at least when I watch you play you know I, I see a flair for the dramatic a flair for something that most other players don't see um I don't know <laughs> I don't know I don't know how to answer that um I don't know if you say that I get uh, do you thanks. feel like there's a lot of other players that play the way you do um yeah I think there's a lot of creative players yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You don't think there's anything? Well, how would you describe your game? If, if somebody would say Roosevelt, describe your game. How would you? How would you put it into words? Um. Yeah, I think I like to like be creative and unpredictable. I think that's like my favorite part of the game is kind of um, doing the unexpected. Um, I don't know. Is that a good description? Yeah. You like an assist more than the goal. Um, I do like an assist, yeah. <laughs> it's your uh, second World Cup. The first one went pretty well, uh, especially the final. What are your memories of, of kind of the tournament clinching goal in that moment? Oof. Um, I mean, I think, obviously, I feel like I've been asked to walk through the goal so many times. Um, obviously, it started with Crystal, great tackle, um, stopped their counter, and then played it to Sam. Sam plays me. I feel like it was the first time the whole game that I had actually been given space. I think they were doing a really good job of like closing us down hard. Um, so I took the space and then I was waiting for the center, one of the center backs to step to me so I could slip it to Alex, but they didn't. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to shoot it. And they did. Um, yeah, and I just remember feeling so relieved because it was like the insurance goal that we needed. I felt like the way the game was going, I felt like we had control, but it's like you never know what's going to happen in the game. Um, so I feel like once we got the second goal, I was like, okay, like we just have to buckle down the next 20 minutes and like we got this. I know it wasn't the game winner, but I'm imagining as a kid growing up, that's the moment you dream of, right? World Cup final, I scored kind of the, the big decisive goal. Did that goal or winning the final, did it change your life in any way? I, people always asked me that after the World Cup, and I think I always, I always thought that, like, you know, doing something that you all, like, it's like the pinnacle of sports, winning a World Cup. I think I thought that I'd feel some kind of different after it, um, but I really didn't. I just, like, felt like my same old self, <laughs> which I guess is good. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like it like changed 
changed me. What's the difference between getting ready for your second World Cup and your first? Especially, you know, knowing that you've got that title already on your resume. Um, honestly, I think going into the last World Cup, I was going in it like pretty blind. Like I had, I just had no idea what to expect. Um, so I think like now having two major tournaments under my belt, I just, I have a better idea of what to expect. I think that helps, um, with the nerves more of just like knowing the, like, it's going to be crazy. Things are going to happen. Um, and you just kind of have to stay in like your team's bubble and it's like it's just you and the team and um, banding together and taking it one game at a time I think just having that experience of knowing what to expect um, is very helpful and hopefully um, all of us who have gone through a World Cup can then help the younger players and the new players who haven't gone through that like know what to expect as well. You mentioned those new players, 14 players who are going to see their first World Cup action. How does that change the dynamic of the team? Um, I don't know. I don't know if it does. I mean, I think obviously it's their first World Cup, but they're really freaking good. So um, I think everyone's going to rise to the occasion. I'm, I'm excited for them. Was there a need for a rejuvenation? I mean, obviously you guys are the defending World Cup champs, but if we look back at the last major international tournament, I think everybody was disappointed what happened in Tokyo. Is that what this new group has brought, kind of a new hope for the future? Um, I think to be totally honest, there should always be hope for the future when it comes to this program and this legacy. I think there's always incredible talent, um, top to bottom, no matter how, like, the oldest player to the youngest player, I think there's always so much talent. And I think um, this program is so much bigger than just the 23 players that made it for the World Cup. Um, I think there's so many people who have helped set us up to be put in this position and um, so I don't think it's like a new era. I think we're continu continuing to build on the legacy that's always been this team. Do you think about this World Cup more as defending the last World Cup or kind of redeeming what happened at the Olympics? Neither. I think I view this World Cup as we're attacking something. I think it's, um, you know, it's it's a, a new team, it's a new cycle, and um, I don't think we look back and feel like we're defending something. I think we feel like we're attacking something now. And here's a look at Rose Lavelle, career goal contributions with the U.S. Women's National Team. There you see the spike in 2019, and then even Bettering that in 2021 after the year of the pandemic. So, all right, that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas here on ESPN+. Plus. We will be back, not on Monday, on Sunday, immediately following the quarterfinal between the United States and Canada, unless it goes to extra time or penalties, should be right around 10 p.m. Eastern time, 7 p.m. Pacific. For Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebi Salazar. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you Sunday right here on ESPN+. Plus. Later, Toros.